I, I see the return of beavers is like the alter, it's the litmus test of whether we are serious and committed to nature recovery in this country. If we're not willing to reassess our relationship and learn to coexist, it's, then it's posturing and it's talk and we're not going to follow through. Hello and welcome to The Lodgecast, a nature and wildlife podcast brought to you by The Beaver Trust. I'm Sophie Pavel. And I'm Eva Bishop. Each episode we bring you the latest news from The Beaver Trust as we welcome beavers back to our rivers to restore our countryside and create resilient landscapes. And we also explore the state of nature in the UK and speak to fascinating experts and inspiring individuals along the way. Today we're joined by beaver researcher Sam Gandhi, who has recently published a paper looking at the psychological benefits of beaver wetlands. Hello Eva, how are you? Hi Sophie, I'm good, thank you. How are you today? I'm very good. I um I can't I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't seem to stop eating. I just keep seem to be having multiple lunches. All day. Oh, it's, the, it's the winter hibernation restocking. Yeah. Baked beans, thing. avocado, toast, cheese, everything. Obviously baked beans. That's what <laughs> it means, winter. <laughs> cheese exactly. for me. A lot of Christmas yeah. cheese still hanging around. Mm. I also got an done. amazing book at Christmas by Caitlin Moran, her latest one, um, More mm, Than a Woman. I love her. Oh, wow. I love her writing. Absolutely so brilliant. Much. And, hilarious. Um, just many, many lols going on, which yeah. is what you need in winter, isn't it? <laughs> I think her, yeah, exactly. I think her writing is best read in public because there are so many audible <laughs> snorts and gasps and yeah. chortling away. <laughs> for anyone who hasn't read it, it literally gives you the answer to the issue of girls' teenage image issues. Mm. She has the answer in there. So get the book. It's amazing. How, how about you? Are you reading anything good at the moment? Well, I, it's not very on brand for a nature podcast, but I'm reading a book called The Dressmaker's Gift. Nice. <laughs> How did you come across that? Uh, it, it was a gift. Um, <laughs> funny enough. Um, no, it's, it's a, bit of, a bit of wartime fiction, Eva. It's, um, oh, wow. It's about these seamstresses in, in World War II in Paris. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, oh, I'm actually learning a lot. I feel very ignorant of that whole era, even though we learned it loads at school. But I'm enjoying fiction at the moment because I sometimes find nonfiction a little hard to swallow, especially about the natural world. And I guess that kind of relates a little bit to the meat of this episode, actually. So we've talked a lot previously about the physical ecosystem benefits of beavers, but we're heading in a really interesting direction today, aren't we? We are really, really exciting and so important, actually. Today, we're talking about the psychological benefit of beavers and beaver wetlands and being in amongst them, building nicely on the mental health and climate psychology Lodgecast episode, uh, one that I really enjoyed back in the first series with Dr. Katrina Meller. So do have a listen to that, anyone who hasn't um, come across that yet. But yeah, it's really exciting today. Yeah, so the potential for nature to boost our mental well-being is such an interesting topic. And it's something that we're learning loads more about, you know, day on day, year on year, particularly through a new lens, as we're currently still living through a global pandemic. Yes, and again, harking back to series two of the Lodgecast, we spoke to Dr. Amir Khan about um, nature connectedness yes, and, and green did. prescriptions. So yeah, 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 yeah what an episode. 
What a guy. It was. It's such a topic and it feels like something that we are just starting to tap into generally Mm. in research and in general public's understanding of the importance of all this and how to connect. It's, It's so exciting. It is. And you know what? It makes me, when I was preparing for this episode, I was reminded of um, my psychology lessons. So I did A-level psychology at school a few years ago, quite a few years ago now. And I honestly cannot remember, A, learning too much about mental health is in our mental health. We learned about like the Mm. clinical symptoms of depression and anxiety and what can trigger it and loads of studies that we had to remember to relay back in exams. And I learned about Pavlov's dogs and how dogs can salivate when they hear a bell. But I don't think we ever, and yeah, I don't think we ever learned about nature and the connection of nature to mental well-being, and all of these really interesting branches of thought and discussion that are just suddenly coming into public conversation now, which just seemed like a, you know, it's almost like a, how are we only just talking about this? Mm. It is. Well, it's all coming together at once, isn't it? With so many pressures on mental health. Mm. I think that's possibly what's driving it as well. But go on, tell me about the first time you saw a beaver or or a beaver wetland. What was it like for you? (laughs) Your first beaver. My first beaver. Yeah. Um, So when I lost my beaver genity, um, (laughs) I was doing my master's and I think I was, I guess I was 21 I was down the River Otter going around with Mark Elliott, who was the beaver project officer for Devon Wildlife Trust at the time. And we didn't see a beaver, but we saw beaver habitat and we saw beaver field signs. We saw lots of nibbled willow, felled trees, beaver chips, beaver footprints. It was, it was just pure curiosity. And I think just mm. a kind of almost like a happiness that I was seeing something for the first time. And that it was on my doorstep and that we were learning about this animal that I hadn't really learned about in my degree. And there were so many unknowns and all the evidence we had of it were just these field signs. And so it was like a big treasure hunt. And I remember being really excited and and just kind of... Beaver happy. Yeah. And I think just just kind of hungry for more. And I think beavers have that effect on us that not many other animals do. And I think it triggered this sort of interest and fascination with an actual habitat and the fact that it's never going to be the same next mm. time you go visit it that was really and a cool. historical creature mm. i like the treasure hunt description that's really nice yeah and how about you i mean i know that you're a fan of um taking time to have a climate cry as you call it <laughs> you often feel the overwhelm of the climate crisis um in in many ways so do you do, do beavers have a role in in your mental health um yes i think it's, it's a fascinating subject for me. And I think that um, I really remember my first visit to Chris's farm at the Cornwall Beaver Project and my first immersion in beaver wetland. Luckily, not literally, I didn't go swimming. <laughs> and I came out with, and I've described it often since, as the first time I've ever felt hope that we can do something to reverse the ecological crisis mm. and nature declines in this country. Because standing there, you feel a really untamed wilderness that you can't make, humans can't construct that, but it was really real and live, alive and the sounds and sights and difference to normal was, it really, really hit me. Mm. And for me, this um, paper that Sam and Roz have brought out really validates why I'm working with beavers restoration, having my main passion being climate change and the two sometimes sort of it feels like a sideline but actually it's really really vital that we do something for nature on our doorstep and if beavers are 
you know, can bring such a positive benefit for humans as well as wildlife. That's really exciting. So, yeah, yeah I think the, the challenge, though, that we have is how we connect millions of people to beaver wetlands because mm. you can't all stand in one. And so that's something I'd like to talk to Sam about today. And it's it's really interesting. Mm, definitely. I think the word hope there is is really key to today's episode. Well, why don't we go beyond the anecdotes and the personal stories and actually speak to Sam, who has investigated these psychological benefits alongside Roz? Yes, I'm delighted to introduce Sam Gandhi, ecologist and researcher with Imperial College London, who has worked with Dr. Roz Watts, clinical psychologist, on this new paper. So basically what you're saying is this paper has a psychologist and an ecologist working together on something really, really cool. Exactly, an intersection we all need to consider more often. Okay, so Sam, welcome to the Lodgecast. Thanks, thanks for having me. Nice, nice to be here. <laughs> oh, it's lovely to have you. Now, Sam, I must ask, and I feel that this is on behalf of all listeners, are you a Lord of the Rings fan? Yes. Extended edition? <laughs> Uh, I, have, I have extended edition. You have extended. <laughs> so Do we need more. to explain that at all? <laughs> yeah, if you're really confused listening to that, Sam's social media handles are Sam was Gandhi. Um, we're just obsessed. I think it's great. But yes, very welcome. nice. It's thank, great thank to have you. you. So before we find out more about you and your work and involvement in improving our rivers, we actually need you to judge this episode's beaver fact off. So this is where Sophie and I go head to head with two excellent beaver facts and we're both going to share with you our favorite one this week and you get to decide which one you think is better or more interesting simple as that so sophie do you want to kick us off um begrudgingly yes because i i know what your fact is and it's really annoyingly good but here we go uh my fact is <laughs> so boring no actually it's really cool i won't put myself down beavers work the 12 hour night shift seven days a week 365 days a year building and maintaining their habitats and for all you people out there all you people out there who are uh, shift workers or if you've ever done a night shift and you know how much it messes with your brain and your circadian rhythm and your sleep wake cycle I just think that this is really impressive that they just are so relentlessly hard working so that's solidarity with the beavers 12 hour night oh, that's shift. a great fact what are you talking about off you go then Eva tell us <laughs> stop your doing me down I haven't even got it out yet so um a sort of double fact this week it's all based around beaver hats and hatting so firstly I quite like the fact that beaver wool is the name for the soft underfur uh, it was also known as a duvet by the hatters of the 16th and 17th century but not only that this is the cool bit the application of steam to fur in the felting process released mercury fumes into the air. Inhaled by hatters, the wafting mercury fumes had the detrimental effect of poisoning those working with material. And the resulting mercury poisoning from hat production caused serious damage to the nervous system. And thus it came about that the term mad as a hatter was derived from this effects of mercury poisoning and hatting. So in fact, beavers are connected to Alice in Wonderland and the Mad Hatter. Boom. That's 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 a that's a cool fact. They're both cool facts. Um Thank you. so I just I'm interested about where, where does the mercury I know there's like you know coal burning releases a bit of mercury and stuff, but where was why are beavers riddled with mercury in the first place? That's sort of news to me. Maybe that's a bit of a, a separate yeah, that's probably a science step too far for me, but it's something to do with yeah. in and the other interesting thing about this to completely sidestep your question because I don't know the answer is that they would um, 
the process continued from wearing the hat. So like the fur, mm. the fur felting effect was even more so when people wore the hat. And I think it's to do with the um, stuff that comes out of your skin. Sebum. Yeah, so you kind of you absorb it. Yeah, so, yeah, so one to look oh, into. That's, that's not cool, is it? I mean, you've got mercury going on through your hat and your, your beaver hat. And I think like lead-based makeup was very much the rage back then, as well as like lead-based pipes and lead-based paint. So, yeah, all these things that we've learned since... But no, I like your factoid. A nerdy little extended addition to your factoid, though, Sophie, with the beavers. I've heard, or at least there's a a study suggesting that beavers' night shift work is not through their preference. It's because of a long association with us and and keeping out of our way. No way. And they've evolved to to be nocturnal when otherwise they would be (gasps) diurnal. That's so fair. Maybe. You've been out nerded. Beaver nerd. I love that. I have been out nerded. So, so what's your what's your decision then, Sam? Come on, that's what that's what. We're I mean, I, I I do like the Mad Hatter factoid. I, you know, I obviously know the Mad Hat for from Alice in Wonderland, and um, that's interesting. The Beaver link. I, I wasn't sort of aware of that, so I think that's got the the winning goal. Yeah, <laughs> okay. nudged in despite two solid facts. Nice. Thanks, Sam. Well, let's get into it then. So, Sam, you're not just here to uh, judge our amazing beaver facts, but we want to find out a bit more about you and your amazing research that's been published recently. What's your background and what brought you to researching beavers in the first place? So background-wise, I've always loved loved nature, wildlife, the outdoors, like, um, you know, since before I was consciously aware of of, of that, really. Yeah, when I got a bit older, I kind of funneled that into my academia. So I did a master's in entomology, uh, uh, looking at insects, and then I kind of did a PhD and I looked at eco-restoration, so soil soil restoration in in Ethiopia. They, They have really bad soil erosion issues there. So I was part of a project looking at the effect of soil restoration and in particular the role of termites in that. Um, And they sort of, yeah, they burrow into the soil, they make holes that helps the the rain sort of percolate into the soil, which helps kickstart the ecosystem basically from Hmm. starting from nothing. So, yeah, I've kind of got an interest in nature, but also, yeah, eco restoration type type stuff. Um, But it was, it's sort of, I guess the beaver thing kind of came in a bit of a convoluted way. So in more recent sort of years, I've done a bit of collaborative research with the Center for Psychedelic Research, Imperial College. And part of that research involved looking at um, psychedelic substances, so like psilocybin, which is the active compound in magic mushrooms. And Hmm. one of the interesting capacities that it has is to facilitate people's connection to nature or change people's relationship to the natural world in a sort of sustained enduring way god that Um, sounds really interesting there's a lot to unpack there (laughs) (laughs) so so that kind of work i guess got me interested in nature connectedness and people's psychological connection to and relationship with the natural world and i kind of learned how important that was for people's mental health and well-being um, it predicts the likelihood of people actually spending time in nature, which and nature contact wow. itself is 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 obviously well is is very important for health and well-being. But nature connectedness also importantly predicts pro-environmental, pro-nature behavior and attitudes. So it seems like in these in these the times we find ourselves in, it's like 
huge bang for your buck mm. uh, the nature connectedness and obviously there's there's i feel like there's there's the scale of our disconnection from nature particularly in this country there was a study published last year and we rate sort of lowest in europe our, our psychological connection to nature and i, I think that's probably hmm. linked yeah. to our depleted biodiversity yeah. as well i think that there's probably um there's likely a, a link going on there and of course you you, you had a co-author on this paper um dr yes. ross watts is a clinical psychologist what, what's the story of yes. collaborating on that together yeah ros is a is a friend and we've collaborated on a few sort of bits and pieces and and scientific papers and articles together um obviously i've got the ecology background and ros has got the psychology background so we kind of meet in the middle quite well like i'm a details guy i'm good at the detail but i can kind of get lost a bit in the detail and and ros has got a very good eye and mind for structure and order so she kind of like helps structure hmm. and order and and has her own sort of fantastic input as a as a psychologist and she really helped kind of kick the the paper up quite a few notches actually yeah. so we actually we went to scotland we went to we went to napdale and we actually finally after the third time finally saw the beavers in the wild there uh together so that was uh, and then we listened to your podcast about you describing that sense of hope oh. of being in the beaver wetlands so that yes this is this yeah. is good inspiration <laughs> we loved that before we get into maybe some more beaver stories, Sam, this partnership between ecology and psychology, what's this motivated by? Because I haven't really come across this before. Is this collaboration kind of motivated by the times as in the climate crisis and the pandemic? Or was it just purely of interest to you guys? You know, what what spurred this this partnership? I think it's a few things. I think firstly, it's, seen, it's quite topical, right? Sort of at this time we find ourselves in and it's sort of, I think, considered that a lot that eco-psychology, where the kind of ecology and psychology kind of merge, um, yeah. it seems to be primarily leaning in a psychology direction. There's not that many, there's more psychologists looking at this than ecologists. And I think kind of motivated by the biodiversity crisis, the environmental crisis, um, climate change, there's this sort of um, disconnect between, you know, we've got all this evidence and all these facts showing the scale of of damage and degradation and things happening on multiple yeah. environmental fronts and yet it's not it's not motivating the sort of the change that needs to happen mm. at the speed or scale that needs to make a difference and i feel like the psychology of this is is being slightly overlooked and neglected mm -hmm. and the really interesting thing about nature connectedness itself as well, you know, mentioning that it's a predictive pro-environmental behavior is that it is not a knowledge-based, rational, objective, detached thing. It is much more about a direct, experiential, emotional connection mm. to nature. And that is the key to potentially shifting people's behavior uh, and stuff. It's not easy to change to sort of, you know, to shift people's behavior, but like doing it through facts and evidence alone mm. is not going to win the day. Um, so we need to kind of look at the the psychology of these interactions more, I think. Absolutely amazing. So, so your paper, the Beaver one, for those who want to look it up, it's called The Potential Psychological Benefits of Nature Enrichment Through the Reintroduction of the Eurasian Beaver to Britain. It's just been published in the European Journal of Eco-Psychology, and we uh, eagerly awaited it and are absolutely delighted by it. Can you give us and our listeners a condensed version of what you found? Yes, sure. So... 
obviously given that you know the return of beavers is a very sort of topical and sort of relevant kind of uh, subject happening now you know talk in scotland and wales and england about bringing beavers back in various different ways and it kind of occurred to me that yeah there's been obviously there's a lot of talk and rightly so much song and dance about the ecological environmental benefits of of bringing beavers back and i'm all you know i'm all for that and i like to keep abreast of what's going on there but it seems that the psychology or the potential psychological implications of bringing beavers back had maybe been a bit neglected. So I thought it might be an interesting topic to explore. Mm-hmm. And because there's, it's beavers kind of bring multiple potential things to the table as well. They create these incredibly rich ecosystems, you know, richer than any, anything we humans can replicate. They are masters at their wetland creation art. So they create these environments that we know from the research have important sort of benefits for, for mental health and well-being. So that's sort of one kind of aspect. Um, beavers increase biodiversity, all manner of biodiversity, both, you know, like mammals, birds, amphibians, insects, fish, you know, like at the landscape scale, which is pretty, you know, pretty unique to them, really. Um, And that in itself. So I was kind of going, so nature connectedness, like one of the ways it sort of is facilitated is through, unsurprisingly, through contact with nature, through sensory Mm, contact with nature, like hearing birdsong and, and, you know, seeing the the butterflies, but also appreciating aesthetics and beauty that's that's another pathway there so i was kind of trying to make the case that you know we know nature connectedness is being eroded through electronic entertainment technology usage through biodiversity loss through a loss of green space increasing urbanization all these things so you know what are the implications of bringing back this creature that creates these these rich wetland ecosystems and increases biodiversity and abundance of wildlife at the landscape level. Um, and I was thinking, you know, if we could sort of learn to live alongside beavers and have them back in the wider landscape, there's going to be much more potential for everyday interactions with, with wildlife, with nature. And then we've got shifting baseline syndrome. I guess that's the sort of yeah, third. Yeah, that's really exciting for me as well. I loved that bit of it. Yeah, because that's, that's, you know, that it's a really um, insidious, mm-hmm. nefarious thing we're kind of partly limited by our let's face it fairly puny lifespans you know like (laughs) and we tend to focus on things within our lifespan and we may not give that much thought uh, a lot of us to sort of yeah what what nature biodiversity was like in generations or centuries past and that is a kind of a kind of worrying thing because as you know basically over time, and we've got good data showing that biodiversity on multiple fronts has been sort of diminishing in this country, speeding up with intensive agriculture, industrial revolution. And obviously, like, you know, you tend to take your baseline level of wildlife biodiversity as what you can sort of remember when you were a child or Mm -hmm. beyond like a few anecdotal stories, maybe you don't have a good idea what was present and how rich it was previous to your, your lifespan. So Essentially, this can kind of lead to like this constant erosion of what you consider like normal baseline 
biodiversity when in fact it's a much depleted version of its like historical baseline level yeah and it's not an easy thing to grapple with and it's a major barrier to sort of Mm. environmental um, reform but education and biodiversity enhancement have been put forward as two powerful ways of maybe pushing back against it and and beavers do both of those things at the same time and yeah physically pushing back against it is is pretty hard to do isn't it it is and you know again it will require kind of a multi-pronged approach there's, there's no quick fix sort of single solution there apart from beavers um, but uh, but <laughs> yeah education that's that's the that's the final thing aspect of the paper i think is mm. beavers are you know they've got good pr um you know people like people <laughs> like beavers they're cute they're curious they do funny interesting things they build dams and build lodges and you know they're they're sort of they've got the whole you know they're they're charismatic the aren't they the, wardrobe, sure. the, kid, mm. the kids like them <laughs> even there was a study in um i think hungary and romania where their populations are really coming back now and they're, they are considered a nuisance uh, there quite widely. But even in spite of that, people can't help but like them, which is interesting. Like they can That have is interesting, sort of, actually. Yeah, yeah, multiple sort yeah, yeah. of feelings. So, mm. you, you, so you said earlier, Sam, when you were listening to the Lodgecast at the Beaver Wetland in Napdale, mm. describe that a bit for us and how that felt. How much field work did you have to do as part of this research? Um, presumably it's a pretty critical piece of it, is visiting these places. Well. It was in the last stages then, actually, that the paper, but it was really helpful at sort of like wrapping it up in a bow, I guess. I mean, I've already done a fair bit of beaver-based field work. So I've I've I saw my first wild beaver on the Lock of the Lows in Scotland. I had amazing views of beavers on Banff Estate. Oh, great! Um, with you know the the, the Ramsey clan, who are lovely. And then after my third visit to Napdale, after hearing them and seeing signs of them, finally saw the beavers on, on one of the locks there. And there were two, two family groups having a territorial tiff. And it was, it was, I kind of heard them before I saw them. And I, it sounded like humans were like cannonballing into them. Into the <laughs> Amazing. Very amazingly loud. Um, and you kind of got a feel of how, you know, they're quite, quite chunky animals actually. So, but no, it was great to see them there and it was nice because we were by the lock and there were all these other people who who were kind of like also on the lookout for them and like sharing information and everyone was kind of getting a getting a buzz out of it so it was nice to see i remember hearing you saying about the sense of hope it gave you after work you know in climate Mm. change kind of for, for a while and that really struck a chord and then i heard chris jones was yeah his his cornwall beaver site was being used as a sort of uh, as a kind of mental health boosting yeah. uh, area. So I was like, okay, there's there's something to this, hopefully. Sam, in the paper, you call beavers super restorers, which we think is just amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> what fascinates you about these animals? But also what I really want to know is you talk a bit about how amazing it was seeing the beavers in a wild habitat, but going back to this feeling of how powerful emotion is in nature connectedness Mm -hmm. and in the paper you almost or you imply that it actually has more potential to solve human wildlife conflict than say more sort of traditional rational ways of thinking how did seeing a beaver in the wild really make you feel so you know what so it was it was fantastic to to see the beavers in the wild but the, the great thing about beavers is that 
you don't need to see them to get a buzz about what how mm. they shape and sculpt ecosystems. I remember like one of the the smaller lock in Napdale, there's this wetland woodland kind of area where they've sort of they raised the water level and it's sort of spilled out a bit into the woodland and it feels like stepping back in time. That was the th- thing about Banff actually that that kind of blew me away because their eco engineering there is not subtle, you know, compared to other areas I've seen. <laughs> it's like five foot dams, like going like huge. And it's just, um, and seeing that, like really quite big trees being being worked on, and it's you got a real feeling for the power of of beavers. Like mm. they 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 really um, can do some amazing stuff. And the thing for me, it was like it was like stepping back in time. It was like a window on what a lot of Britain would have been like centuries yeah, ago, totally. and what it could potentially be again. Yeah. Mm. You know, like that wasn't humans in control of that patch anymore. That that was under beaver management and mm. they were bending it to their whims. Oh, I love that. That you don't have to see the animal to appreciate it and to No. Mm. That's what makes them really, really special. Yeah. So your papers clearly should be a really important moment for sort of the systemic connection of everything. How do we join the dots of on the climate action, on mental health, on nature connectedness, on lifting baselines as opposed to shifting baselines syndrome? Does it need to be immersion in wetlands to get this benefit? Um, I think we've discussed that a little bit that it doesn't necessarily, but there's no way to get everyone in Britain to a beaver site. And we've lost 90% of our wetlands how can we get that to more people with an urgency that it needs? And for example, do you have any plans to share your research with agencies and policymakers who might need to understand how good this could be mm. in the right place? Good question. Well, yeah. So I was, when the paper was published, I was pretty proactive about getting in touch with various agencies in England, Scotland, and Wales. Um, Natural England said they'd already seen the paper and were, had already kind of distributed it and stuff among their people there. Um, but yes, it's a it's a it's a good question. Like in this country, we have huge inequality in terms of like access to nature and who can access mm-hmm. to nature, and a lot needs to be done to sort of push back against that. I'm feeling now, you know, with the sort of the change in subsidies to farmers and landowners, as well as you know, in- enhancing biodiversity and ecosystem services, there's going to be more sort of encouragement to sort of facilitate public access um, to nature. I mean, one of the things I kind of lay out in the paper, and I think obviously Beaver Trust has touched on, is the importance of of buffer strips around our waterways. So in Bavaria, where beavers were introduced half a century ago, apparently buffer strips like five to 10 metres around the waterways is a very good way of reducing human beaver conflicts just letting that sort of yeah that bit by the water bodies lie and there's other obviously benefits for that it buffers against pollution it you know enhances biodiversity um so sort of like if we had beavers back in the wider landscape the potential for kind of an interconnected beaver buffer strip waterways and then like public footpaths sort of running through them mm. it wouldn't t- i mean i guess over if you added it up it would be a fair bit of land but for what it would it would give the the population it would be profound i mean there was a study that it, i mean it was adding up the global effect of access to protected areas for people's mental health and they i think they worked it out it was like eight trillion dollars in terms of the the, the economic health savings there and obviously that's on a global scale beaver wetlands certainly aren't the only potential kind of 
um, habitat that's wonderful to explore and have mm. access to. Sure. But it seems from the research I've done on the types of different sort of like, you know, you've got your so-called blue space, which is your water bodies, yeah. and your green mm. space, which is parkland or, or woodland. There's something quite powerful about wetlands in particular, it seems, in terms mm. of their anti-anxiety and anti-depressions effects. And, you know, research is in its early stages. But, um, and just to say as well, like in the parts of the Netherlands, the human population, we're really densely populated in England. It is a valid mm. point. You know, there is going to be, beavers will need to be managed in, in the wild uh, here. Like, you know, in Scotland, there's a bit more space, uh, well, a lot more space. Um, but in areas of the Netherlands, beavers coexist with humans. Areas are really quite high population density and there is coexistence like yes there are a few trees taken down yes there are a few block drains but it's sort of the world hasn't hasn't collapsed there and there is sort of coexistence mm. beavers do get used to, to regular human although they, they've evolved to be not very trusting of us because we turn them into hats they do get used to, used to human <laughs> presence and will start to sort of lose their yeah they'll be less timid so there's more likelihood of actually encountering them so we will need to reassess our relationship to nature and the natural world if we if we're going to coexist with beavers. I see the return of beavers is like the alter, it's the litmus test of whether mm. we are serious and committed to nature recovery in this country. I like that. That's a really good way of putting it. If we're not willing to reassess our relationship and learn to coexist it's then mm. it's posturing and it's talk and we're not going to follow through. Oh, well said. My view. Yeah. Uh, with that in mind, Sam, I mean, where do we go from here? I feel like, as you said, we're kind of just at the very cusp of this fascinating topic of eco-psychology. What's next for your research? Or is there anything that you'd really love to look into? Um, I mean, good, good question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I put you on the spot there. <laughs> so it's a very, very recent development. But I've got. I've just secured a new job uh, with oh. um, Norfolk Rivers Ecology, which is like the for-profit arm of Norfolk Rivers Trust. Congratulations! Thank, thank you. And part of that, my my role there as a, as a project manager will be working on things like wetland creation, river restoration, and potentially um, beaver reintroduction as well. I've heard whispers even of, of like wild Ooh. beaver release which seems very uh progressive and so i feel like <laughs> moving on forward I've, I've been doing quite a lot of paper writing and stuff in particularly over the lockdown periods and and stuff i've had a bit more time ready to so get been, out there so i'm yeah i'm kind of feel like i'm i've done done a good stint of that now and now i'm ready for a bit of a change of focus and nice well can't wait to see how that how that develops yeah, and that ties beautifully into my next question, which is that we like to, with our guests, inspire others. Um, and I'd like to ask if you have any advice for young people or um, career scientists keen to work with beavers or more broadly work in ecosystem restoration. What would you encourage they do so that we can get more people supporting this change and the litmus test moment? I would kind of recommend like it's good to to volunteer your your time if and when you get a chance there's lots of you know there's local wildlife trusts there's local river trusts 
Uh, there's the John Moore Trust in, in Scotland, the RSPB. You know, there's there's various different organisations um, that sort of can facilitate getting stuck in and getting your hands dirty. There's there's local tree planting groups as well, and I think the experience that comes with that is is really helpful. But it's yeah, I think getting ahead in this particular area career-wise, you, you've you've got to show you're keen. Um, you know, sort of just getting the academic credentials alone, I don't think is is necessarily going to cut it. You sort of need to show that there's that burning passion. So by all means, you know, pursue like an academic career, like do environmental science or, or you know, like biology, ecology, like any any of those things. But I would encourage you to sort of like be proactive and sort of start linking up with local um, groups who are active. And that in itself is, is great for you and great for your health as well. Be more beaver about it, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Be more beavery in your, your approach. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Sam, I feel like this, we've just sort of touched the tip of the iceberg really in talking about all of this, but listeners, we can't encourage you enough to go read Sam and Ross's paper. It's fascinating. It's hopeful. It's so inspiring. And we can't wait to see what you do next. Um, but in the meantime, thank you so much for joining us on the Lodgecast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for, for having me. Yeah, thanks so much. Oh, how nice was that? Oh, it's brilliant. I feel like it's an area I'd love to dig more into. It's so fascinating mm. and how to connect it up with all the other bits and pieces going on that really need to hear this and, you know, relate yeah. to it. It's great. It touches on so much. And he was really um, interesting to listen to. We hope you enjoyed it too, listeners. Yeah. I hope that in time there might be modules and degrees and kind of massive areas of teaching in eco-psychology because I just think it is it demonstrates so well the holistic approach that we need to take for nature yeah. restoration and kind of seeing us and nature as kind of together and yeah, one planet, totally. one love, la la la. But <laughs> no, it was really cool. I'm excited to see what Sam does next because I think he has an interesting angle for research. Indeed, one to watch. Okay, team, it is time for one of the favourite parts of each episode because it's time for the quiz. And it's also time for producer Emma to come out of her box and join in. It feels so blue pleated, doesn't it? <laughs> Here's the producer I organised earlier. I'm ready, I'm ready for quizzing. And you've promised us nonsense this time, Sophie, as well, so no pressure. It's, it's so silly, <laughs> so silly. Okay, are you ready? This quiz is called Odd Beaver Out. <laughs> Of course it is. Oh, I can already tell him you're terrible at it. Okay. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Question one. Which of these songs is not a real song? (laughs) And these are the titles of of the songs. A. Something's wrong with the beaver. B. Daryl the beaver. Or C. Crunch, crunch goes the beaver. I tried really hard to keep a straight face through all of them. (laughs) <laughs> which is not a real what I love song. is that you've made up one of those titles I know <laughs> I'm going through my mind thinking which one of these is most likely to have come from Sophie's brain mm, yeah good luck A something's wrong with the beaver B Daryl the beaver or C crunch crunch goes the beaver which one's crunch, not crunch I really beaver. want Daryl and crunch to be real <laughs> so I'm going to go for whatever the first <laughs> one was you made up crunch crunch the first one was something's wrong with the beaver <laughs> I really want that one to be the one you've made up but I'm imagining Daryl the Beaver could be some kind of like kids TV or like like a play 
song maybe song. that evolved in like America. Can you sing it to us, Emma? No, this was this was strictly in my imagination only. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can reveal the answer. Oh, Eva, which one is... did you guess? Oh wait, what did you say, C. Eva? Eva's C. correct. Oh, Crunch Crunch Goes the Beaver is not a real song. <laughs> However, there is a very similar one, and it's called something like Nibble Nibble. So the beaver. So, <laughs> I'll, I'll find it and, and put it um, on social please. media or something. But well, well done, Eva. Right. Question two of the quiz, Odd Beaver Out. Which of these, this is way more sensible slash boring. Which of these places don't have beavers officially in their rivers yet? A, Hull. B, Nottingham. Or C, Bristol. A, I should have let Emma answer first. I, well, I, I was going to go for that as well, but it did also cross my mind that if I waited, you'd probably tell me the answer. <laughs> You're both correct. Yay! Um, does not have official beavers yet. Watch this space. Ooh. Yeah, get in touch, Hal. <laughs> you want some beavers? Freefo. <laughs> We've got Daryl on the line. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hello, beaver hotline. How can I help? <laughs> okay, which of these phrases is not... A quote from the famous American TV show, Leave It to Beaver, from the 50s and 60s. You may remember it well. So famous. <laughs> A, Beaver, please. B, what are you thinking about, Beaver? Or C, hey, Wally, nobody's home. Let's call up some girls and pretend we're talent scouts. I feel like I need to put on my American accent there. Could, yeah, if you if you could deliver them again in an I'm American gonna go with accent, B. that might really Which help Which of these phrases the is not a true quote from the script of Leave It to Beaver? A. Beaver, please. <gasps> Excellent. B. What are you thinking about, Beaver? Or C. Hey, Wally. I feel like I have to sound like a six-year-old man. <laughs> hey, Wally. Nobody's home. Let's call us some girls and pretend we're talent scouts. Which one is it? B. Oh, I, I was going to go B as well. I feel like that last one is almost too abstract. You have to have plucked that from the show. Mm. If it's not, it's a real insight oh. into your mind. <laughs> yes, I've spent a lot of time on my own recently. Um, it's B. You're both correct. Oh, what brilliant. are you thinking about Beaver? It's not, but the other two. Beaver, please, I feel like is a... Beaver, beaver please. please. I, I like that. I think that we could probably start using that in our day-to-day. <laughs> Yeah, oh, cracking. Well done, Eva. Well done. Three out of three. Like yeah, it. Yeah, Eva's, Eva's getting good. But um, yeah, so that was Old Beaver Out. Thanks, Soph. What a great concept. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a concept, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, classic. Well, that looks to me like it's time to end this episode of The Lodgecast. And don't forget that to celebrate this series, we're giving away a few copies of the brilliant book, Bringing Back the Beaver, by friend of Beaver Trust, Derek Gow, about reintroducing beavers in the UK. For your chance to win, and we know you want one, all you have to do is post about how much you love The Lodgecast, tagging at Beaver Trust and using hashtag The Lodgecast on Twitter or Instagram. Or you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, then email us a screen grab of it so that we know it was you on info at beavertrust.org. And we'll announce the winners at the end of the series. Yes, don't forget this series. We're releasing our episodes weekly, so we'll see you next Tuesday for our final episode, in which I'm delighted to say we're going to be chatting with award-winning filmmaker Nina Constable. That is guaranteed to be a good one. And as always, make sure you subscribe to The Lodgecast on your podcast platform of choice so that you don't miss a thing. For more from Beaver Trust, don't forget you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Beaver Trust. Head over to our website, beavertrust.org, and sign up for our newsletter. See you next week. Thank you.
This podcast, as always, is a mixture of fact and opinion. It was hosted by Sophie Pavel and Eva Bishop. It was produced and edited by Emma Brisdian for Beaver Trust.